Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week, this time doing a request. In fact, uh, one of the first requests that we've gotten, which was Megadeth's Rust in Peace. But before we get there, Chris, how you doing, bud? Very good. Uh, how about you? Good. It was it was a good week, I, I, I have to say. Um, I had a lot of fun with this album, but before we, before we dive deep into that, did anything else um, interest you this week? Did you have a chance to check anything else out? Yeah, it was um, kind of like a return to, to normalcy as far as uh, listening habits go. And I got a chance to kind of catch up on, I keep a playlist of uh, whenever a new album comes out and um, I just drop it in there so I have a place to go so I can know you know, what I need to listen to that's come out recently. And sometimes that playlist tends to pile up. So I had some uh, catching up to do. I got a chance to listen to the new uh, Arion album, which not to be confused with Arion. Um, they have a new album, Vultures Die Alone, that I uh, really enjoyed and um, I, um, Mike really enjoyed. And we'll be probably talking quite a bit about Mike in the today's episode. So shout out to Mike. Um, I also got a chance to listen to um, the League of Lights, which is a side project of um, Richard West from Threshold. And it's kind of more of like an electronic rock album. It's not really a metal album at all, but it's really good stuff. Um, the album's called Dreamers Don't Come Down, and uh, I recommend that. And I also finally got a chance to listen to the new Secret Sphere album that you had uh, mentioned. And um, it was excellent. I really enjoyed that quite a bit. So um, with their uh, their old singer back in the fold, it was kind of like a, a return to form for not that they ever lost their form, but it was more of a, it felt more like the older secret sphere than the albums with um, Loopy the last couple times out. So uh, just wanted to give those three albums a mention. Yeah, good, good stuff. I, you, it, League of Lights had actually come out with an album about a decade ago. I completely forgot about these guys. So you would ask me, uh, you know, offline, you, have you heard the new one? And I completely forgot about this band, but I picked it up and I enjoyed it. Very different, almost like an electronic anathema in, in certain spots. Uh, I heard a little bit of Pure Reason Revolution in there as well. But I, 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 it was a nice change of pace for sure, especially because I was banging my head all week listening to Megadeth. Um, but it's, it's funny that you mentioned the new Secret Sphere because one of the albums I wanted to discuss this week was the new Sweet Oblivion featuring Jeff Tate on vocals. And it's uh, Aldo from Secret Sphere that wrote the entire album from what I understand. Um, for many people, this was kind of another return to form for Jeff Tate. If you like some of the older Queensryche stuff, not that it was as uh, dated as some of that material. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I think that uh, some of those early Queensryche albums like Rage for Order are kind of a little bit of a dated sound. But just in terms of the vocal style and the presentation, um, it, it definitely does uh, strike a chord with, with fans of old Queensryche. Really good stuff. This is obviously their second release, um, but just exceptionally well done and and worth a listen. I I, I don't think it's going to wind up being in my top 10 at the end of the year, but it's something that I just enjoyed this week for sure. Very cool. I have to give that a listen. Yeah, yeah. But um, with that, let's let's get to the reason why we are here this week. One of the first requests, uh, as, as I said, was for this Megadeth album, Rust in Peace. And in full disclosure, had we not received it as a request, it was one of the albums on my short list um, that I kind of had as something I wanted to talk about at some point 
when we when I kind of came up with the idea for the podcast, just because uh, this is a really, really um, uh, monumental album in, in many regards. So I, I, I before before we get into the album itself, I just want to read a, a nice little blurb that came to us with the request. And it was by a, a longtime listener of the show and a longtime friend of ours, Mike. And he says the following, what can I say about my favorite band in the world? I could probably spend at least a week talking about how much the band means to me and why, but this is, uh, but since I only have a minute or two, I'll try to keep this brief. In a sentence, Megadeth music changed my life. I started listening to Megadeth when I was about 16 or 17. And I have to thank our friend Pat for this one. Pat had driven a few of us down to Slip Disc, a music store, here on Long Island, and um, it's since sadly closed its door, George, uh, doors. But when we were at Slip Disc, uh, he told our friend George, buy the album Rust in Peace. And they proceeded to blast the album on the car ride home with the windows down. And that's when my love for Megadeth began. He said that headbanging and scaring the hell out of people who would pull up alongside us at a red light uh, with that intense sound of Rust in Peace is what did it for him. Um, he said, Megadeth's music, among the music of many other bands that I had just started listening to, bands like Dream Theater, Sabotage, Stradivarius, etc., uh, had such a big impact on me, not just because of the sound, but because of the lyrics as well. It was a sound that I had never heard before, and it helped me grow from my introverted shell over time. I found meaning with all these bands, but Megadeth was able to influence me a bit more uh, than the others. I started researching the band members, but my focus was on Dave Mustaine. I loved how he didn't really take any crap from anyone, and I knew that he wanted... Uh, I liked what he knew, what he wanted from his band, even though critics were sometimes harsh. Uh, the lyrics are thought-provoking and meaningful, and I love how the band focuses mainly on... Um, you know, the, the political stuff that the politicians are throwing at you, but they still, these lyrics resonate even today, uh, translating uh, over time. I have seen Megadeth play live numerous times, but my favorite show of all was seeing them at Jones Beach on Long Island doing a co-headlining uh, show with Dream Theater. I believe that was that during Gigantor. It was two of my favorite bands playing at my favorite music venue. Uh, it is and will probably always be my favorite concert. And Megadeth simply blew the roof off that night. And I'll never forget headbanging to Tornado of Souls with Pat sitting next to me going crazy, um, you know, when the song just kicked in right away. I want to thank Chris and Justin for reviewing my favorite album by my favorite band. I can never get enough of Megadeth. So with that backdrop... Um, which is, you know, a little bit of a mouthful, but I think it just shows the passion that some people have for this band. How did you first hear of this band? Uh, well, I just, I, I do agree that Mike is very passionate. <laughs> passionate. Um, well, I, honestly, I mean, I think I'd always known the name Megadeth because I think that, you know, as a kid who watched a lot of MTV, um, you know, you always heard about Metallica and Megadeth, even if you didn't know anything about metal, you know, Iron Maiden being another band, I, I would lump into that category. Um, I kind of to piggyback on, on what Mike had to say, I was with Mike when he got this album and I'll never forget. We went to Mr. Cheapo's in uh, Mineola, Long Island and, um, and, and George who, uh, uh, Mike had mentioned in, in his blurb was with us and we each bought a used album that day. And I'll never forget the three albums that were purchased. Uh, Mike would buy rust in peace. George bought Kings of metal by Manowar. And I bought 
Keeper of the Seven Keys Part Two by Halloween for like what a day, man! I mean, you want to talk about a monumental day? That that was uh, life changing for you guys. Yeah, and I think I paid like six bucks for that album, and um, I that might have been my first Halloween album, actually. So yeah, and and I'm guessing that was Mike's first Megadeth album, um, and I'm guessing that was George's last Manowar album. (laughs) So um, I um I didn't get into Megadeth though until probably after high school um and most of it is just because of mike would always um you know on our legendary power hours he would put every single megadeth music video ever made even ones that um i didn't even know existed uh he didn't even know existed until he searched for them and and i think slowly through that it's kind of seeped into my my musical knowledge and, and since then i've become quite a fan i mean they're my favorite of the of the thrash bands uh, of the big four. It's not really even that close to me as much as I do enjoy Metallica. I, I I've always been more of a Megadeth person and Mike's influence probably has a lot to do with that, but um, I, I've grown to really, really enjoy the band. I got to f- see them live finally um, a few years back. And, uh, and um, what was I going to say? Um, but, I never really like took a deep dive into any of their albums. It was just kind of like I knew maybe two, three, four songs from each album and I really liked them, but I never really, you know, dug in. Maybe I listened probably to the newer albums as they came out a little bit closer than the older ones. So I was excited that Mike had asked us to do this because um, there were songs like Five Magics and Take No Prisoners and and Dawn Patrol and and, and the like that um, I wasn't really that familiar with so it was really awesome to really kind of ingest this album on a whole for the first time well before we get into the album i'll just tell you a little story about myself this was not the first megadeth album i heard i had i kind of had a very um interesting intro to the band i remember being at a strip mall also here on long island and i was with my mom and i had just kind of snuck away for a bit i I don't remember why we were there but i said i'm going to the music store so I'll, i'll see you in a little bit and I was, I think, 16 or 17. I was a huge Metallica fan, but I knew it was time to get a Megadeth album. But I was kind of going through the stacks. I, I, you know, come to think of it, I, this had to be 1997, 1998. Uh, as I'm going through the stacks, and, and I see all these Megadeth albums, but I didn't know which one to get. Um, so I wound up getting, um, you know, confused, I, I guess, in, in a sense, because I just, I didn't know which one to grab, right? So I, I wind up kind of, taking a chance on Countdown to Extinction, which was the album that came out directly after this. But if you've heard Countdown, it's definitely their most commercial album along with Euthanasia, which kind of mimics Metallica's path with the Black album coming out a couple of years before that. Um, But it sounds nothing like Rust in Peace, or at least I don't hear much of an overlap between the two. Um, Countdown was kind of a a, a transitional album. And then eventually you'd get to Cryptic Writings, which was a real departure, but an album I actually hold dearly. But I, I buy Countdown. I wind up really liking it. And I struggle a little bit with Dave's vocals just because they're so... I don't want to say abrasive, but they're not like the most melodic vocals. I think I used the analogy last week. He's not Freddie Mercury, right? This is you don't listen to Dave Mustaine and say this guy is a, 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 a has a wonderful voice, but it certainly fits the music. And I liked it enough that I wound up picking up all all the old stuff and uh, even Euthanasia and Cryptic Writings, which followed. And, and I so I basically went into 1999 having all of their albums because I just 
something about the guitar work just really resonated with me. But I was fascinated by how different each album sounded from the other ones. I think that unlike some other bands, every every Megadeth album has a completely different feel to it. Uh, and Rust in Peace is definitely, definitely no different. It was something that I had, had listened to uh, quite a bit during this period, but everything kind of changed for me, at least when Risk came out. And I really kind of stopped listening to them because I hated the album. And to this day, I... I'm not a fan of Risk, but I remember revisiting the older Megadeth albums um, when The World Needs a Hero came out, which was in 2000, and that's when Rust in Peace hit me like a ton of bricks. So I had it, I listened to it, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it never really grabbed me because I was gravitating towards some of the um, newer material at the time, and then I just got turned off by Risk and really just did a 180 on them, and I started falling in love with the old stuff. Cool. I don't think I really knew any of that. So it's yeah, it's, cool it's, to hear. it's it's kind of a, a unique, um, a unique. Uh, f- uh, the way I got into them was kind of unique and kind of just jumping back and forth or whatever. Um, but you know wh- what I'll say is this: I, I I'll get into the live shows in a minute. But I, I remember actually going to my first Megadeth show with Mike, uh, who requested this back on September first of nineteen ninety nine. And the reason I remember that is. It was the day after Risk came out, and I remember buying Risk on August thirty first, and really just being like soured by the whole by the whole thing, like I mentioned. But I had tickets to see them the next the next day, and fortunately, at least for me, they only played two songs off that, and you got to hear a nice sampling of other stuff that they played. But an interesting anecdote about that show: it was a benefit show for a music foundation, which. Um, kind of aims to cure cancer or what have you. And on this show were a bunch of other bands, one of which was I think is really worth mentioning, which was the, the co-headliner, if you will, was Typo Negative. And I was fortunate enough to see them, but I knew nothing by them. And I really was not into that kind of like dark gothic stuff at the time. But in retrospect, I'm so happy that I got to see them because a couple of years later, they, you know, um, uh, Peter Steele would be gone and, and, you know, they would cease to exist. So that was kind of cool for me. And then on the back end, because it was a benefit show, there were other musicians that were present. And all of a sudden, uh, they come out for an encore and they do two Black Sabbath songs. They do Never Say Die and Paranoid. But Dave Mustaine isn't singing. Bruce Dickinson had come out with them and wound up playing with Megadeth and some other musicians doing these Black Sabbath covers. And it was my first time hearing Bruce Dickinson live. And that was like a transformative experience for me. That's sick. I love that song. Never say die. I that would have been really, really cool to see live. So it was. It was really cool to see live. And uh, if I, if memory serves me correctly, I think some one of the guys from Anthrax came out. And and, and like I said, Bruce Dickinson comes out and, and does vocals. And I, I I couldn't believe it. The crowd uh, went absolutely bananas. And I had just gotten into Iron Maiden. I had just picked up Live After Death. Um, a couple of months prior, I could not believe what I was seeing. And again, he wasn't with Iron Maiden at the time. So I never thought I was going to really get a chance to see him do his thing. And he sounded great. And I was, I was immediately hooked to his vocals um, from that day. Very cool. Yeah. I, I would have, I'm very jealous that you got to see that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely, definitely once in a lifetime, but with, with that backdrop, uh, finally getting to hear Rust in Peace for the first time, you know, in its entirety, 
I'm really curious uh, as to what you think, because I have some really strong thoughts on this, but I, I want to hear what you have to say. Well, I mean, I always knew Holy Wars and Hangar 18 as, you know, those were the two songs that I knew for the longest. And I would eventually hear Tornado of Souls many a times in the presence of our, our mutual friend. And um, so, you know, the album starts out with those two songs, so I'm immediately you know, familiar, like familiar with what's going on, but I'm also just knocked out the two songs that I know best right at the start. And, um, you know, what a way to start, right? And, and what, what I did realize from listening to the entire album is that like every song just starts out with this memorable, you know, riff or lick or, or something like it's, it's to me, like, you know, immediately I love, um, my, my favorite thing that I learned, that I didn't know is how awesome of a song Lucretia is, how that opening riff is so sick. It gets you like so like amped up to hear the song. And, and Oh my God, when you're listening on headphones and you hear that creepy laugh at the beginning, it scares the hell out of you. But um, <laughs> uh, like just, it's, it's, it's awesome. Like I can't even begin to uh, describe how different, um, how differently I feel about this album versus the anthrax album that we talked about. Like I, I enjoyed the hell out of this. Maybe my only, my only complaint is that it's only forty minutes long. I, like it kind of leaves you wanting more. Yeah, it's interesting. From the you mentioned the beginning of Holy Wars with that 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 the 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 way that starts with the guitar. From the moment the album starts, you know you are in for a treat. I mean, from the second the album starts, um, the intro to Holy Wars is one of my favorite things to hear live just because once they start, you know what's about to happen and they often either open the show with it and sometimes close the show with it. And I can't think of a better opener or closer just because of the way that particular strong song is constructed. Um, It's gotta be one of the most iconic like intros to an album of ever. And it's so simple, but and it's not like it's. Listen, some of the solos that we'll get to in a second are absolutely mind blowing, and there's a thousand of them on this disc, and each one is better than the next. But that simple guitar intro is so iconic and just sets the stage for the next forty minutes. Um, It is maybe my favorite intro of all time. It's that good. Like I I have to think about that, but just no fluff. No, um, we're not going to beat around the bush. We're just getting right into this thrash classic that that's six and a half minutes, but it feels like two just because it's such a great song. And the irony is it may not even be the best song on the album, but it's the perfect intro track. I think many would argue it is the best song on the album, but the, the album is so brilliant that a lot of people have opi- opinions on this one. Yeah, I definitely believe that and i could see like i could see a number of these songs being uh anybody's like favorite song on the album i mean there's just so many strong tracks on on here so um yeah i mean let's uh let's dive in yeah and so after this 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 epic opening track again another guitar intro on hangar 18 not in terms of a riff but just in terms of this like I mean, again, it's almost like it's aptly named Hangar 18 because it's almost like you're about to go to this outer space exploration trying to find UFOs with just that like higher pitched guitar sound that starts the that starts the song. Yeah, this is um, I'll just say it right now. This is my song of the week. I, I have always, always loved this song from the first time I, I heard it. Um, it's just so 
catchy right away. Um, it just, cause like the song, like Holy Wars, the, it, the way that it opens is kind of like this, um, you know, just the guitar, like, uh, you know, and like, whereas Hangar 18, it's just like, everything is just, just, it just starts and it's just, everything's going. The guitars are going, the bass is going, the drums are going. Like, it's like, they don't set you up to like lead you in. It's just, it just starts and it's, it's, and it's just five minutes of just insanity the whole way through. set the stage for a little bit obviously dave mustaine lead vocals lead and rhythm guitars uh longtime bassist david ellison doing bass and backing vocals uh but many many would consider this to be the classic megadeth lineup and 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 this was the first album for both marty friedman on on lead guitars and nick menza the drummer who was actually an old drum tech for their for their prior drummer before taking the taking the kit himself on this on this album it you know for, for many, and, and and they've had a very uh, unique history in the sense that they've had a million guitar players uh, seemingly on every other album. They have a, a new guitar player on Dave's other side. And Ellison obviously was in the band, uh, you know, and, and remains in the band. There was a, a period in there where he had left. Uh, but for some reason, Marty Friedman's work on this album is what put this album for me ahead of all the other stuff I had heard before it. And even the stuff that came after it, just because he is such a gifted guitar player, but it it's the feeling and the and the and the and the emotion for, with, with the solos that which he plays is unparalleled, perhaps in thrash. I mean, it's that good. Uh, no arguments here. Uh, the The musicianship is certainly on full display all the way through this album. The the drumming, the bass playing, the the two guitars. Uh, and, and, and Dave's vocals, like you mentioned before, you know, he's not a classically trained vocalist, but like that raspy, like, I mean, the, the, nobody sounds like Dave Mustaine and nobody really should even bother trying because he, his voice to me is so iconic just as much as James Hetfield's voice is iconic to Metallica. Um, it, it's to me like that there was nobody else that could have. I mean, obviously it's his band, but there's nobody else that could have been the the vocalist for this band. I mean, yeah, it, just... it just it just fits, right? Like, in other words, um, you know, not the greatest live singer by any means. Uh, you know, he, he's usually not doing guest vocals for for other bands because you don't think of him as a is a great quote unquote vocalist. But it, it fits here, and you know, I, I look at a song uh, like, and I'm sure we'll get to Tornado of Souls in a bit. But to me, the vocal performance on that was. By, was his best vocal performance on any song that he's ever done. 
I just absolutely think that his his vocals on that are are uh, second to none, you know, for this style. But you know, you, you mentioned the first two tracks. Now you're going to start getting into Take No Prisoners and Five Magics, two real thrashy. Um, I don't want to say progressive, but Five Magics is the, the, is a little bit all over the place. What are your thoughts as you're getting deeper into the you know some of these cuts that are in the middle of the disc? Yeah, it, it feels a little bit more. Um... I guess more in that vein of that classic thrash, like, you know, Holy Wars and Hangar 18 were radio hits and for good reason, because while they were thrashy, they were also catchy and had a lot of melody in it. And, and now as we move on, it's kind of more of that classic thrash. And I ended up, I found, I, I found myself really enjoying, you know, the songs like Take No Prisoners and Five Magics and Poison Was the Cure, which is kind of makes up the meat of the middle of the album. Um, just lots of like, just, you know, classic uh, guitar work. Like um, Dave's just, you know, you could feel that like that ire in his voice that he's just like, you know, that's part of the, the appeal too of him that singing. That he uh, that he sings with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he, the 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 lyric the lyrical content is is uh, is about a bunch of stuff, but obviously, like he has a lot of anger towards you know um, the government or you know the guys of Metallica at the time yeah. or whatever, and so like it really comes out. It, it almost sounds like he's having like therapy while he's singing these songs. Um, but yeah, I found myself. Um, really just enjoying uh all these songs i mean um you know the thigh master song was is fantastic <laughs> i mean in five magics it really sounds like he's saying thigh master and i could just picture suzanne summers like doing a commercial set to this song I imagine that i i think that <laughs> you blowing the minds of just about every guy in uh, 1985 or whatever yeah and for you kids out there um go google suzanne summers or, or go watch uh three's company It'll all make sense. Or or step by step uh, for the people who are a little bit older. <laughs> yeah, n- no question about that. Um, you know, it's funny. You, you I was doing a lot of research just, you know, kind of looking to see what people's opinions of the album were. And we know the hits. You know, like you said, some of these songs were Grammy nominated. It's 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 remarkable how, how much of a mainstream hit this was, given how heavy it is. Um, but it's, but for many people, Five Magics is actually the best song on the album, which for a while was probably my least favorite. But I have a newfound appreciation for it. Um, I, I think it's I think it's I think it's a gem. And and I, you know you laugh about the Thigh Master, but it's it's a really well constructed song. And I think that it gets lost almost because it's just in the middle of some other um, all time classics. But um, I, I happen to enjoy it quite a bit. And then, like you said, after you get to this middle of the album, which is kind of like the thrashing middle of the album, you get to a song like Lucretia, which is um, probably the least popular song on the album for many. But I think it's fantastic. Like yeah, you said, it's that, just... I find that to be surprising because I think the song is excellent. Um, you know, like I said, I really love that the way that it opens up, and and it makes me think of Final Fantasy VII because I think Lucretia was, I want to say it was Vincent's mother or something like that, or. Um... I don't think it was Eris's mother. I think it was Vincent's mother was Lucretia. But um, that, so I think of, mind you, this album came out seven years before Final Fantasy VII. But that's yeah. what it makes me think of. Yeah, it's uh, more of a um, I, 
not not the thrashier song on, on the album for sure. And quite frankly, I thought it would have been a really good radio hit, which it just never quite got there, I guess. Um, maybe because of some of the other gems. But um, I, I, I've always had a soft spot for that song. And I thought it was kind of one of the more accessible tunes on the track if you're not a big thrash guy. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised that you, you said that people consider it like the weak, like one of the weakest songs on the album. Cause I, I, I just, I don't agree. I just report it, but it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> but, and, and maybe part of the reason is because when you get to track number seven, um, we go in a completely, completely different direction. And I, and I want to thank Mike because I had actually asked him to submit his track of the week. I thought it would be nice that, you know, going forward, if you request an album, we want you to re- we want we want to hear your track of the week and and Mike's track of the week is the same as mine. Tornado of Souls is probably my favorite it's definitely my favorite Megadeth song. There's no question about that. It is one of my maybe top 10 songs of all time. I love this track. I love Dave's vocals. I love the I love I love the solos in the middle and back of this track. I love how the vocals come back into the chorus, you know, towards the end of the song. It's another song that just starts with this fast kick-ass guitar in the middle and then just goes off the rails. I I, I can't, I'm not doing it justice with my explanation, but if you are looking for a fast, thrashy, um, well-constructed song, Tornado of Souls is it. And I think this the, the lyrics are very good too for, for, for what it is. This was, I mean, for me, it was between this and Hangar 18, in all honesty. And uh, after Mike chose this, I just figured I would choose the other one. But I think there was a fairly good chance that all three of us were going to choose this song. I mean, I echo both of your sentiments 100%. This song is absolutely incredible. And uh, funny little anecdote, um, the reason that we were late to your wedding was because Mike was burning a CD with this song on it to play on the party bus that took us from the church to the reception. Yeah, so. I, I, I remember that. And um, <laughs> I, I got quite a bit of ire as a result. But um, yeah, I mean, nothing nothing screams like I'm going to the chapel like Tornado of Souls. So consistent, if nothing else. Right, Mike? Um, and Jen married you anyway. So yeah, go figure. Luckily, this wasn't my <laughs> wedding song, right? Um, although that would have been interesting. We Then you get to, to what I can only describe as the, the outlier on the album, and it's a song that I used to absolutely hate. I had it up there in the 030366 uh, category of songs that you have to skip. And I was wrong. 
Dawn Patrol is awesome for what it is. And it's really just a glorified bass solo with um, creepy uh, alien-like vocals on top of it. It is the perfect intro to the last track on the album, which is the title track. I thought this is Dave Mustaine doing an impression of David Bowie when I heard this song. Really? I, mean, I got like such David Bowie vibe. I mean, he almost sounds British in this song. Yeah. Um, so I was just getting like major, uh, like, like just major David Bowie. I mean, to me, like at under two minutes, I mean, I always, I kind of just considered this uh, like a segue. So sure. I didn't really like give it a lot of critical thought, but, um, you know, for what it is, it, it's it's a fine track. And like you said, leading up to the finale, Rust in Peace Polaris. Which is, I think, the most underrated track on the album. I absolutely love that tune. And I think it's the perfect ending to this phenomenal album. Um, and it's, and it's you know, you've kind of gone on quite the adventure because of just some of the, the nature of the tracks that come before it. But I thought it was a perfect closing ta- track. It's fast. It's tight. It's aggressive, but it, it 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 just puts a bow on the whole thing. I could again couldn't have said it better myself. I, I this was a song I was not terribly familiar with, and and I ended up really enjoying it. And um, I, I, I would put it in my, I guess, top five of the nine tracks that are on this album. So sure. uh, yeah, I really, mean, really good stuff. Yeah, I mean, there, there to me, there are no bad songs on this album. It's it's start to finish really well balanced, really uh, w- well constructed. Um, uh, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, the original recording versus the remix that was done. Uh, Megadeth had gone back and remixed, um, I think, all their entire back catalog in 2004. Um, and I, and we, uh, we had a little, uh, little, uh, what do you call it? A little meeting, a little, uh, pre-episode meeting, uh, post pre-production meeting, uh, last night. And, um, you had mentioned to me that, um, I should listen to whatever version I hadn't spent the week listening to and yeah, I had spent the week listening to the remix. So I, I think that's important. And, and let me just set the stage here. They re-released their entire catalog, but remastered and remixed everything. And, some of the remasters and remix, actually, I think all of them, there was a lot that was added and cleaned up in a number of ways. And I've always been probably in the minority. I loved the remasters and I could see that it had been touched up in a number of places, but it was, I always liked it. I thought the sound was crisp. It was clean. Um, and, but, but I also wanted you to hear what the original sound was, which may have been a little bit less polished, but certainly um, really good in, in its own right. And I was curious to see if you could either A, tell the difference, or B, if you preferred one to the other. And, and again, no right answers here, but there's, I think there's a lot of people that do not like these remasters for whatever reason. Well, um, I had I didn't really get these albums until after the re, the remasters were released. So I ha- all of my, my Megadeth albums are the remixed and remastered version so that's what i'm more familiar with but this morning i went and listened to the original and in all honesty like as far as i can tell or or as far as i i would say the album didn't need it i i don't think but i mean you know you think of like the george lucas like going in and and adding and and touching up star wars and how as like an artist he felt like there were things that he wanted to do at a certain time that either were technologically not possible or he didn't have the the budget for 
Um, and, and as an artist, he wanted it to sound the way that he envisioned it at that time. And I, and I'm guessing that that's what Dave Mustaine was doing here. Um, I think that I agree with you. I think that the re the remixed remastered version, sonically, it sounds, it sounds really, really good. Like it sounds like a modern album. And this those, is an album those that came re- out. Just sonically. I think that those albums hold up every bit as well as albums that came out yesterday. That's how good a job they did. But I do understand that there were things that were touched up here, vocal lines that were touched up. Uh, the the fact that the drumming is way down in the mix on the remasters, probably because of of, of Dave's falling out with with Nick Menza before his untimely passing. But it's 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 things like that that I think is why certain people criticize the 2004 releases. But the original sound really good. I don't know that it needed to be touched up. I like it, but I don't know that it needed to be done. Right. I, I mean, to me, like, I get it. If you spent, you know, 14 years listening to this album a certain way, and then they're just like, here, <laughs> listen to it like this. I mean, I, I get it. Like, to me, I don't have, like, that history of listening to the original version of the album for years and years. So, to me, I mean, I find both versions to be fine. I mean, the, the 2004 version definitely has a, a crisper, cleaner sound, but I mean, do you want this album to have a crisper, cleaner sound, or do you want it to kind of have a little bit of a muddier, grungier sound that the original has? And and I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's just that, um, you know, it, it was 1990. So um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't think I would lose anything uh, listening to one over the other, in all honesty. They're both... I- Really, totally, really uh, totally get that, but I think it was just worth bringing up because there, it is kind of polarizing for, for many. I just want to shoe on a couple of other things in here. Uh, back in 2010, I had the luxury of seeing this entire album performed live at the Nassau Coliseum. Um, this was the big three tour, if you will, with Slayer headlining, uh, Megadeth doing direct support, and Anthrax opening. And I, I think I had referenced this show during our Anthrax episode and, and how um, on that particular night, Anthrax just blew me away. But I thought a nice tie-in piece was the fact that they played all of Rust in Peace that night. And although I don't think it was their best performance, it was, you know, it's kind of a desert album, desert island album for me. So I'm, I'm glad that I got to hear the whole thing live. And then some other tracks on the back end. And uh, one other thing that I thought is it, it was kind of cool um, I just five- want to say, oh, yeah. I, I've always been, I've always been really surprised that Megadeth was not headlining that tour. Slayer is so big, and, and like I, 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 I am not the biggest Slayer fan. Um, I really think it would be a cool exercise for us to do a Slayer album because um, I don't think you know a lot, and I have listened to a lot of it, but I'm just not a huge fan. And I'm wondering if I come back to it, maybe I'll like it more. I, I don't know, um, but just in terms of popularity. I don't think it gets much bigger than Slayer and the, you know, other than a Metallica Slayer, Slayer is a bigger band, I think. And that's why they, they had the, that's why they, you know, that's why they want to last. And I'm sure that uh, it was much to, 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 to Dave's um, dismay, but you know, the, the I just sales always, to, to me, like, I just always felt like um, they, Megadeth was just a more well-known band. I mean, I, as a, somebody who was not a thrash fan growing up, Megadeth was a name that you heard. I thought you heard a way more, often than than slayer yeah i mean maybe 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 it's because you know slayer wasn't angel of death was not getting played on 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 the radio uh you know song you know rain and blood not 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 going on the radio and and so 
you know, Megadeth had a little bit more mainstream support. As I said, they, they, they received Grammy nominations for this, for this album. They did not win. They lost actually to a uh, Metallica cover song when they covered Queen's Stone Cold, but that's a discussion and a what? robbery for another day. What? What? Was- yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. I, to the, you know, I, 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 I cannot, uh, I cannot tell you for the life of me what, what, what they were thinking there. But nonetheless, Hangar 18 loses uh, to, to Stone Cold, I believe. And, um, you know, this, this album, and let me just mention some of these alcohol. So, so Hangar 18 did the job to Stone Cold? That's exactly, you, you could not have said it any better. But what didn't do the job was uh, 1 million units sold. This, this album went platinum in the United States. It peaked at number 23 on the Billboard Top 200 charts. And, and just listen to some of these accolades. Uh, Accord, best heavy metal album of the 1990s by uh, one by one outlet. Um, number 19 greatest heavy metal album of all time by Rolling Stone. Um, 50 top 50 thrash albums. It comes in number three by Metal Hammer magazine. Top 50 greatest heavy metal albums of all time by Music Radar. Number six. I mean, this album is just chock full of accolades and and, and rightfully so. I'm, I'm going to ask you for your rating, but I just want to tell you one other quick Megadeth story before we go. In 2016, about five years ago, and, and obviously at this point, the lineup was very different than it was during this classic period. Uh, Kiko Lorero from Angra was on guitars for the last bunch of years, and he does a really good job playing some of this old um, Marty Friedman material, which I, I don't know how he does it, but he, he does an admirable job. But a show was announced at a venue in Brooklyn, uh, this bar, this heavy metal bar called St. Vitus. And it was a show by the, a band called Vic and the Rattleheads. And any Megadeth fan knew that this was going to be some sort of a show, a Megadeth show at this bar that holds, I don't know, 100 people. My sister, God bless her, went to the venue, tried to get tickets. The tickets sold out. We were a little bit distraught. We wanted to see Megadeth in this venue. The next day, we find out that tickets, a limited number, went back on sale. She rushes from her apartment, gets to gets to the venue in Brooklyn, gets her hands on two tickets. And this show is actually on YouTube. It was a short performance. It was not their best performance. Uh, Dave was sick, sounded sick. But to see Megadeth play in this little venue where people are just literally tossing one another on different sides of this little room... It was one of my most memorable shows of all time. And just to give you a sense of Rust in Peace's um, impact on their back catalog, they played eight songs at that show, and three of them were from this album. And you can guess which ones they are. Yeah, probably Dawn Patrol. Yeah. <laughs> as, as cool as that would have been, uh, it was not the case. But they, they, they actually wound up closing with Holy Wars, and it was amazing. And for whatever reason, the entire show – uh, in in professional quality appears on YouTube, and it's something that I'll I'll post later in the week, just because you can even see my ugly mug in the crowd, just because it was uh, a really really tiny show, but it was something I'll never forget. Well, if you're in the video, I'll make a point not to watch it because that's that, that sounds you and, awful. You you and everybody else, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure. But I'd be remiss not to post it for the three of you out there that might actually want to see it. Um, with that and and with with that backdrop, scale of one to ten. Where does this rank for you? And then I, I, where does it rank just in terms of your overall thrash, uh, you know, your overall thrash albums in general? Uh, I, I would give this a 9.0. Um, it's, it's excellent all the way through. Uh, it, 
really only suffers from its length in all honesty. I feel like, I mean, you know, less is less is more, I think in this case, but um, I was just kind of surprised at how short it was. I guess I shouldn't have been for a, an older album, but um, uh, just fantastic. Probably three or four of my all time favorite thrash metal songs appear on this album. Um, it's arguably my favorite thrash metal album ever. Um, but then again, the amount of thrash metal albums that I know start to finish is pretty is a pretty short list. Um, We're gonna get to that. I, but, I have yeah, plans, but I would, for, for I you. would, yeah. I would put this ahead of most, if not all, Metallica albums. If that's any consideration as to how much I like this, yeah, I I I agree. It is still probably the pinnacle of thrash for me. It is a nine point five. Um, it is a damn near perfect album. And, and, and when I go back and I want to listen to Megadeth eight out of 10 times, I wind up grabbing this disc because I never get old. It never gets old for me. And I'll say this, you know, obviously I, I knew when the request came in that what this was, it was an album that I've listened to and, and still stays in rotation. It's not something that I had to really revisit. I listened to this album on the regular, even to this day, but even knowing what it was, I found myself banging my head every single time I listened to it. It's it's the staying power for this disc, as it, what I think kind of sets it apart from the other ones. Um, you mentioned Metallica. Take an album like Ride the Lightning or Master of Puppets. I love those albums for what they are. I couldn't tell you the last time I listened to it, but this still stays in heavy rotation for me, uh, and, and it just never gets old. And I find myself hearing new nuances in some of the solos that I just never heard the last time I heard the disc. And, and that's why I think it's just a brilliant album. And I give it the nine five. And it's a well, well-deserved and I'm sure uh, Mike would give it a, a 10. Uh, he'd give it a 12 if he could, but uh, <laughs> you know, that's not allowed. This is, this is, this is our scale. Um, but let, let, let me say this. Um, having done this, uh, we, we have a lot of cool stuff coming up and we, we, we encourage you to stay, stay tuned and we've got a lot of albums coming up and we got some special surprises as well that we are, are, are putting in the books, but it is your turn to pick something for next week. So what am I going to be spending my week listening to? Well, uh, you might not have to even listen to this album. Um, it's, it was only a matter of time and the time has come and, this is going to be a little bit obscure for some people, but not for us. I want to talk about Eternity X is the Edge from 1997. It's really funny you mentioned that. Um, this is an album that I think most people have no idea what this is. You know, it, it, it's a nice contrast to Megadeth, where everybody knows who, who this is. And I think everyone who listens to this probably has heard Rust in Peace at some point, or at least some of the tracks on the album. Uh, when it comes to a band like Eternity X and a really obscure prog metal band from the United States, I'd be shocked if most people know who they are. But for that reason, I really encourage you to come in next week and, and check it out. I am ex- so excited to talk about that. And it's been on my list. And I had it, I actually had it queued up for, for another time, but I, there, there's no better time than the present. And I look forward to listening to it um, for the 10,000th time. Um, next week. And, and, and I think it's going it, to, it'll make for a very interesting discussion. And again, for those that haven't heard the band, they are a um, very obscure prog metal band from New Jersey that Chris and I had listened to um, going back to 1997. Um, and they haven't really done very much since this album. They came out with one other release, but to, to very little fanfare. Um, but if you haven't heard it, 
it is a true underground masterpiece. I would I would strongly urge that if you have never heard this album to listen to it prior to the episode's release. Um, I, I think you'll appreciate what we have to say uh, that much more if you have heard it. And if not, you know, we'll we'll insert our, our usual uh, clips. And if it sounds interesting, hopefully you'll listen to it after the fact. But um, I, I think a lot of people that aren't familiar with this are going to be pleasantly surprised. I would definitely, definitely uh, agree with that. It is, it is a, uh, an, an underground masterpiece. But um, with that, well, it's something to look forward to for next week. I hope, uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week, and I will talk to you soon because I think that just about puts a bow on Rust in Peace. Yeah, same. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, thanks to Mike for the recommendation, and, and we're happy to uh, to have talked about your favorite band, favorite album, favorite song. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, hopefully conjured up some 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 good memories uh, from back in the day when we were getting into this kind of stuff. So keep the requests coming, uh, keep the positive reviews coming. If you think we deserve it, it helps other people find the show. Um, we know you're out there because uh, we we see that you're out there. Uh, the feedback though would help others find it. So thank you. Keep the requests coming, like I said, and we'll we'll hit you next week with Eternity X's The Edge. All right, sounds good, buddy. Take it easy, buddy. Take care. Who is-